Hi, this is Cindy Godwin, pastor of Summit Church, and this is our chosen podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope that it helps build up your faith and remind you that God has chosen you and set you apart for His purpose. Enjoy the message. Okay, take a good look at that girl next to you. Take a good look at her. Yep, she needs prayer, huh? Okay. Either that or chocolate, and I don't have that right now. Okay, why don't you uh, grab her hand. If you wipe the sweat off yours first, it'll make it better for her. We're just going to pray. Father, I thank you for this amazing woman I'm standing next to. And I thank you, God, that it's your purpose that's established in her life. I thank you, God, that it's your will that's done. Any plans the enemy has, those will fail. And I just ask God that you would bless her. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, squeeze your cheeks, either pair, work for me. Well, I am so honored to be back here. As Cindy mentioned, we've known each other for a thousand years, a long time. A long time, and I've known Rick, we just known the family, and there's just something about long-term friends, isn't there? Like just consistency with people. She's the same. She's just the same. And I just have to commend you for that. You don't, you don't change. I mean, you look the same, first of all. That's hardly fair. Yes, you do. And uh, you're just consistent and consistently lovely. Safe. It makes it a, a safe friend, doesn't it? When you have someone who's you know, you have those friends and you have to go, ooh, who am I going to get today? Do you know those people? If you're sitting next to that one, just look straight ahead. But she's just not that girl. And um, so thank you for being that friend. And I also am very spoiled that Kelly showed up because we've, we've been friends a long time too. So it's awesome. I love having real friends. You know, I, I spent most of our ministry life in Los Angeles. We pastored Oasis Church for over 35 years. And, you know, Los Angeles is the city of fake. I mean, it's, they're good at it, too. And um, I, so I just can't stand it. Right? I don't, wanna, I don't want fake friendships. I don't want fake conversations. I want the real stuff. Right? Yeah. Well, I love the, you know, the word that was chosen over this conference bloom, and um, I actually hate it too, because I, I don't grow things. I have a special skill. You give me a green plant, I'll kill it in a week. Like, it doesn't matter what kind it is. And so, I mean, I, I've driven down freeways where little green things are growing up through the cement, right? Cars drive over them, and the next thing you know, they're back I'm thinking, why don't the plants in my house do that? I don't drive over them. Right? You know what I'm talking about? There's plants that grow through sidewalks. They just, it's, they're like blooming in such adverse situations. So I was determined, no, I'm going to get better at this. And so after one of the conferences that she was mentioning that we have at our church, well, in the, so in part of the, the, the green room area or where we were hosting people and feeding them, there was a plant on a table. And after the conference is over with, the girl that was helping me, she goes, why don't you take that plant home? I'm like, oof. 
okay. So I took that plant home. Now you have to get it home first, right? So I put it on the floor next to me, and as I'm driving down the freeway, now normally, I'm like a lead foot person. Like I go 9,000 miles an hour. I'm fast. I was so careful. I'm like holding on to it. One hand, we get home, and I'm like, Jesus, help me with this plant. And I put it on this table, and then I did some research about the kind of plant it was and how you're supposed to water it. And this particular kind, they say, you know, put an ice cube in, like one little ice cube. I don't know why, but that's what they said. So, and only once a week, I'm like, I can do this. So I would get one ice cube. Oh, you're looking so good. Way to, way to go. And I didn't want to like, do too much because who knows? And it was still blooming. Like, so the next month, it's, it's still alive and it's still blooming. And I'm thinking, all right now, you know, your bad self, you got this. Right? And I'm just being so careful with the ice. And two months later, it's still blooming. And I'm thinking, whoa, maybe the curse is broken over my life. And there's something blooming. And then later that day, yeah, were you there? Like the dog ran through the house, hit the table. My baby flew off the table, hit the ground. And then I look at it, and I look down there, and it had been fake. I had been watering a fake plant. And I, I, I call my friend, the one who gave it to me, and I said, you gave me a fake plant? And she goes, Holly, there is no way I'm giving you a real one. <laughs> like, yeah, but I didn't know that, and so I felt so stupid <laughs> watering that fake plant. <sighs> but I just think we should be the people, first of all, that don't water fake plants, but who can be the kind of people who like those plants that pop up on sidewalks, and in the midst of adversity, they just keep going. There's, a, there's an annoying verse in the Bible. Well, there's a few of them, but there's one particular one I'm going to talk about, and it's probably, I would say, would be one of the life verses for me. And uh, it's in Proverbs chapter 31. Now, honestly, I, the first time I, went, I read through Proverbs 31, which is, you know, a book, a book in the Old Testament of the Bible, and it's a book, and it's kind of poetic, and it's, you know, the whole the whole book of Proverbs is full of wisdom, and it's awesome. Now, Proverbs 31 is just, yeah. It's about the woman. And you think, who, who could be her? Why they just, it's just, oh, she's perfect. And I'm, I'm not, yeah, no. And then there's a really annoying verse in Proverbs 31. is verse 15. And it says, she rises while it is yet night. And I'm thinking, nope. No, she doesn't. She sleeps really good while it is yet night. So that really annoyed me. I almost just like ended. I was happy for Proverbs to end with 30. I was really done with 31. And then I began to do a little bit of 
research and study and behind that verse, and I discovered that it doesn't have as much to do with the time of day that you get up, but rather when adversity and, and chaos and heartbreak are all around, she is the woman who rises. She blooms in the middle of adversity. I think we're born for that. We're born to be that girl. And so I started thinking, what are some areas that we need to rise? What are some areas where we need to bloom even though we may not feel like it? Well, one of the first areas is you can't actually bloom. You can't actually rise until you know who you are. Until you know who you are. Psalm 45.9 says, daughters of kings are among your honored women. So let me just tell you, for some of you in here, you've been on this chosen journey for a while, but some of you, I saw your hands up. This is the first time you're in something like this. This is new. But for those of you who've been on this journey, you understand what it is to be a daughter of the king. You are royalty. And knowing that has changed your life because you know who you are. But for others, maybe you've never heard that. So let me tell you, you are royalty. God is your father. There is a crown on your head. You are loved and valued regardless of where you've come from, regardless of what you were doing last night. His love for you doesn't change. You are his beloved daughter. In Proverbs 31.10, that verse says that your price is far above rubies. And Psalm 45 says the king, talking about God, is wild for you. And then Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, which is a book in the New Testament, it says this in Hebrews 4.16. It says, let us boldly come to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, do you know why you can come boldly into the throne room of God? Do you know why you receive mercy and grace? Because you're his kid. You're his daughter. You are royalty. You belong in the throne room of God. So that's, that's who you are, and that's actually what fuels your ability to bloom. It fuels your ability to rise when it seems like everything is coming against you. So she rises, she blooms, knowing who she is. And then I think... We have to actually be the girl who rises with wisdom. We bloom with wisdom. Proverbs 31, back to that annoying chapter. Verse 26, it says, She opens her mouth in skillful and godly wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness, giving counsel and instruction. Now, the Hebrew word for that is the word hakam. Okay, everybody say that. Hakam. Look at you speaking Hebrew right off the bat. And what that means is a divine perspective. So what this is saying is that you and I should be capable of giving a divine perspective, not just offering opinion, but giving a divine perspective, giving wisdom, which helps someone overcome life's challenges. Wisdom is what helps me overcome life's challenges. A number of years ago, I was getting on an airplane And I had my boarding pass, and I was headed to my seat. And when I got to it, I noticed that there was a gentleman in my seat. I said, excuse me, sir, but you're in my seat. 
And he goes, oh, I know, ma'am, I know, but I just want to sit next to my wife. Is that okay? Sure, no problem. So he handed me his boarding pass. So now I'm going down the plane, and I get to my next new seat. And there's a lady in it. I say, excuse me, ma'am, but um, you're in my seat. She goes, oh, I know, I know, I know, but I just need to do a little work with a coworker. Is that okay? Okay. So now I have my third boarding pass, and I'm heading down the plane, and I get to a seat, and there's this young teenage boy in that seat. And I go, hey, buddy, out. Right? And then he looks at me, and he goes, um, um, oh, actually, I just want to play some games with my friend next to me. Is that okay? <sighs> okay. So now I have my fourth boarding pass, continuing down the plane, and I get to what is going to be my seat, and it's empty. So I get in there, whoosh, quick, buckle up, I'm in. And then I sit down, and I turn to my right, and I notice that there's a gentleman, you know, sitting next to me. And so I give him, you know, the airplane smile. And... Um, <laughs> Then I quickly pull out a book, and in international plane language, when someone has a book, it means... You say it louder for the people in the back. Because they evidently didn't speak it. It means don't talk to me, right? So I'm pulling out this book, and I begin to read. But evidently, he doesn't speak plane language. And so he looks at me, he goes, hey, what's your name? <laughs> Holly. He goes, well, Holly, my name's Bill, nice to meet you. Yeah, it's, it's nice to meet you too. <laughs> he goes, so Holly, what do you do for a living? <sighs> now, personally, I find that question interesting because I think, I'm a woman, I do nine things before lunch. <laughs> right? And so, and, I mean, just think of all the things. I think, so for me, for me, right, I'm, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a pastor, I'm an author, I'm a teacher, I'm a chauffeur. You got kids, you're a chauffeur. I'm a chef, I'm a lover, I'm a friend, I'm a fixer of things. Right, all the things. And so I, when somebody asks me that question, I change the answer every time. It's to keep my own self entertained with my life. In fact, one time, I was flying into Sydney, Australia, so that's a long flight. So you're landing in Sydney, and it's really early in the morning, about six, and I haven't had any coffee by this point. And so you have those, you know, customs, you know, immigration forms that you fill out, and they always ask for your occupation. And so on this particular day, I went, lover. And so... I get up to the little place. <laughs> so I'm standing in line, and the, they call me up, and the guy that's got me, he's very young. I, I think he may have started shaving. I'm not sure. He's very young. So I, I'm like, this is going to be good. So I slide that little thing under there, and he gets it, and he's just like, you can see red. Just like, and they, he like stamps it, and he sends it. He just doesn't even know what to do with that. So very entertaining for me. Now, I'm pretty sure that's illegal to do that, by the way. Um, so if I'm ever in jail, that could be the reason. So just, you know, send cookies or whatever. But So with this gentleman who's sitting next to me on the plane, I think, what can I say? How can I answer this question 
that would end this conversation. So I look at him and I go, well, actually, I'm a pastor of a church. Jesus blood on the cross church. <laughs> and then he looks at me. He says, I've been needing to talk to a pastor. So, he looked at me, he said, so, my wife and I just found out that she's pregnant with triplets, and and our marriage is not that great. So, do you have any tips for me about building a marriage? And inside, I think this, I don't say it. Inside, I'm thinking, yes. Like, at that point, I'd been married to the same man for like 30 plus years in a row. (laughs) Right? We've written books on marriage. We've talked about it. So, yeah, there's a few things I know. Right? So, I look at him, and I give him three simple things, and I think we pray, and that was it. But do you see what happened there? is that God moved four people out of the way so that I would have a chance to sit next to someone and offer the wisdom that I actually, Proverbs 5 calls it, wisdom learned by actual and costly experience. And I think that happens every day. But we're so busy scrolling through Instagram and we're so busy whining and complaining about stuff that we're missing the people that God actually wants us to rise, wants us to bloom next to and offer the wisdom that we have. I mean, most of us have paid a high price for it. You've overcome tremendous obstacles through life, and I imagine there's someone, in fact, I don't imagine, I know there's someone that you're supposed to share it with. You know, perhaps as a single mom, you managed to raise your children into responsible, functioning adults. Okay, that's amazing. Uh, Well, you know what I know? I guarantee you that there is a young single mom in your circle of influence, and she's freaking out. She doesn't know what to do. She needs to know what you know. And that'll only happen if you're willing to open your mouth with wisdom. I mean, some of you have graduated college or gotten your master's degree. Well, I promise you there's a young college student in your circle of influence who's thinking about quitting because it seems way too much for her. She needs to know what you know. I mean, some of you have lived through tremendous abuse and you found the path of healing. Well, I promise you that in your circle there's a woman who's still trapped in it. She needs to know what you know. I mean, some of you, you might have had an abortion or dealt with an addiction of some kind. I imagine there is some wisdom that you could share. But only if you open your mouth. See, your past can give someone else a future, but you have to be willing to open your mouth. And so many times we let shame keep us buried in the ground when we're supposed to be the one that rises and blooms in the midst of adversity because we have something to share. We have some wisdom to offer. And let me just say wisdom, not just opinion. Opinion doesn't actually help anybody. I mean, you can have an opinion about which shoes look better, but that's not what I'm talking about. And I think now in our culture, we've got people spouting off opinions all over social media. They should just shut up. It's not helping anybody. It's just creating division and tension. 
right? So what we're asked to do is give wisdom. Wisdom learned by actual and costly experience. Right? So let's be the girl that blooms with wisdom. And then I think we should be the girl that rises in adversity, the one that blooms with hope. A few years ago, my husband Philip and I toured the ancient catacombs of Rome where thousands of early Christians are buried. And as an expression on their, of their faith, whenever a, a believer would die, they, they, a Christian symbol was often carved in the marble tombstone. And there's hundreds of different symbols on the wall. There's, there's a fish, there's a shepherd, there's an anchor. And maybe that anchor comes from this verse, Hebrews 6, 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And when I read that verse, what, what hope is the author of Hebrews talking about? Well, maybe that God keeps his promises? Maybe the hope that his love never fails? I've heard that people can live about 40 days without food. I mean, not me, but some people can. <laughs> Three days without water. Some people can go eight minutes without air. But they can only live one second without hope. And the thing about hope, see, hope is more than optimism. In the New Testament, the biblical definition of hope implies a knowing, a sure expectation. Because when hopelessness fills your heart, it's almost like this death begins to take over. Death to your dreams, death to a relationship worth saving, death to the idea that things will get better. But the power of hope coursing through your body is your most valuable asset. And hope is not a luxury. It is essential. Hope can change everything. And hope is for all of us. It's not just for those glass half full people. Hope is not wishing. It is not positive thinking. It is a sure expectation that God will do what he said he would do. That's what hope is. Hope is kind of like floaties. You know, have you seen children that wear these armbands, you know, when they go swimming, you put them on their arm, you blow them up, and, and it's like the floaties keep their head above water. Well, hope is like that. It keeps you floating until you get to solid ground. I have this friend who suffers from an eating disorder. And a lot of people told her that she would always struggle with it, that this would be her continual struggle. They told her that she might get help for a moment, but that this disorder would be a continual battle for her. She was just like floundering with that. And when I spoke with her, I assured her that no, that there would come a day, there would come a day in which this issue would no longer be her struggle, that she could get free. I told her story after story of women who wrestled with this challenge and are now free. They did the work of dealing with the issues in their soul. They let the Holy Spirit bring transformation, and now they're completely on the other side of it, healed. And I reminded her that the same God who starts the work in her, he's going to be with her until it's finished. And so like my words of encouragement, but honestly, God's words put floaties on her. So let me just ask you, what, what are you in the middle of where hope seems lost? Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe your husband had an affair. Maybe 
You just can't seem to kick that addiction. Maybe your child is struggling at school. Or maybe you've heard the word cancer from your doctor. Or perhaps you just feel stuck in a job you hate. Or maybe you wonder if the secret dream in your heart will actually ever come to pass. So how is hope possible? Well, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah has an answer. He said this in Lamentations 3. He said, I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. Anybody else know that feeling? I do. Okay, three of us. We can have a small group. <laughs> then he goes on and he says, but there's one other thing I remember. And remembering I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They're created new every morning. How great your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I've got left. And sometimes the most important thing you can do is to keep hoping. And oftentimes to take a grip on hope means you use both hands. So where are you drowning? It is not the end of the story. Put your floaties on. Now, there were some years in our life not too long ago that were filled with some real challenge, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But my hope came as I navigated those horrible years, came as I remembered that he is with me in every battle. He's with me in every storm. He's not just a God up in heaven that's, you know, watching aloofly as his people suffer. No, he is with me. He is with you. In every moment, he sees and collects every tear. And I cried a lot of them. I really like confetti. I think Cindy probably did this for me. I like confetti. I like, I like being in a room when the confetti cannons are launched and you can see it all falling and and I like it sometimes when there's so much that you can make like confetti angels on the floor, you know. I really like confetti. I mean, how could you not like it? I mean, unless you're the person that has to clean it up, in which case, I'm sorry. We'll help you. Everybody take a handful. Um, one of my favorite Bible verses is this. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, it says, In Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Now, when Paul wrote this, he's referring to the victory parade that Caesar, the emperor, would throw on behalf of his conquering generals. So the generals would win a battle, and then Caesar would throw this big parade, and so the, the conquering general in this great white chariot would be pulled by, you know, white horses, and, and then behind that was his army, and they would enter the capital, and there's cheering crowds, and I'm pretty sure there was confetti. They were just like, woohoo, this is amazing, well done. And they, you know, the parade was filled with music and shouting and dancing. And so how awesome is that? And so the picture that Paul is painting for you and me is that Jesus is our conquering general. Right, you and I are part of his army. We get to share in the victory. And he's leading us in one perpetual victory parade. So we have to see ourselves riding in the parade. We might be in the middle of horrible. We've been there. You might be under the dirt. 
right? It might be a horrible situation, but we're not trudging through a world of misery. I mean, it might feel like it. But because of what Jesus did for us through his death and resurrection, we are in a victory celebration. See, I think this scripture says we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from a place of victory. Jesus paid a really big price for us to walk in this parade, to live out a life of hope. So God's intention, no matter what challenge we face, is for us to overcome, is for us to rise, is for us to bloom. It's not the end of the story. So no matter what others say, get your hope up. You know, people say, don't get your hopes up. That is so stupid. It is so stupid. Get your hope up and put it way up. Now put it in the right thing. Don't be hoping for the win the lottery. That's not what I'm talking about. But get your hope up. Get your hope up. And also, contrary to what others say, put your floaties on. And you know what? Grab a bag of confetti. I travel with a bag of confetti. This is my beat up little baggie. It goes with me everywhere I go. See, I love it when you're in these confetti things and they, it goes down your shirt. You probably have some down your shirt. And then you're going to go to the bathroom and then there it's all going to fall on the floor. And... When we were in the middle of this horrible situation, which again, I'll get to in a second, one of the things I did is I went out to my backyard and I put some worship music on and I put it on loud because I can't sing, so it's better when they're loud. And I grabbed confetti and I would grab a handful because nothing looked good. I felt like I was still under the dirt. So there was nothing, there was no evidence of good. You hear me? And so I'm out there and I'm just putting worship music on it. I didn't feel like doing any of this, let me just be clear. I felt like punching people and cussing people out. Now, Cindy would never do that because she's holy. Kelly, you'd probably be right there with me, though. Yeah. So I didn't feel like doing this. I'm out in my yard. Start putting on some music that's going to change my thoughts. See, you can't always control the first thought that comes in your head, but you do get to control what you dwell on. And I found myself dwelling on bad things, mean things, things I would go to jail for. So I went out of my yard, and I would grab some confetti. I'd say, God, the work that you started in me, you're going to finish. I will put my confidence in you. I won't look at what's around me. I thank you, God, for your peace, which surpasses all understanding that I can't see. So I'm just saying you should just grab, before you leave here, plus they'll love you, grab a handful of confetti and you put it in your purse and you put it in your pocket so that when you're in the middle of the storm, I was almost going to say a word that's not wholly not appropriate. When you're in the middle of that storm, you do something about it, right? You declare the truth. You start declaring the truth of what God says and not what you're feeling. All right, let's bloom. Let's rise with some hope. Do I have confetti on my hair? I love it. All right, my last thought. 
So we're going to rise. We're going to bloom with gratitude. Everyone wants to be grateful. I mean, who wants to be ungrateful? But the question is, what's your plan? What's your plan to become a more grateful person? Because I think we have this problem when it comes to gratitude. Because see, nobody just drifts into gratitude. I mean, we, about gratitude, we say thank you when someone does something for us or thank you when we're given a gift, and we should. But if we start to think that we will be grateful to the extent that we receive things or the more good things that happen to us, the more grateful we'll become, then gratitude becomes a product of our circumstances. And gratitude is always, always, always a decision of the heart. It is not a result of circumstances. I mean, because have you ever noticed that two people can be in the same situation? Right? The same job, the same school, the same church, the same long line at Starbucks. And then one of them is just filled with gratitude, and then the other one's just like complaining about everything. They're just like grumbling. Maybe it's because what someone sees as a gift, somebody else sees as their right. Well, Paul teaches us that gratitude is the will of God. He says it like this in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. You know what? We're going to read that together. This is the interactive part of this, all right? One, two, three. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. Give thanks in some circumstances? All. See, a thankful heart is more than a good idea. It is the will of God for his people. I mean, so many times as a pastor, people would ask me, you know, one of the biggest questions, what's my purpose in life? What is God's will for me? What are his plans for me? Do you know what step number one is? Be grateful. Just be grateful. Turn to the person next to you and say, thank you. Right there, you were in God's will. Right there. Isn't that amazing? And so I don't know what it would be, would help you. Maybe it's a gratitude journal. My husband, like, you know, he's more of the journaler. He can do that. I'm not a journaler, but gratitude journal. Or I have one friend that before she gets out of bed in the morning or when she gets out of bed in the morning, when she puts one foot down, she just goes, thank you. Something. Now in our house, we have this jar. And my husband put this jar in our kitchen in the middle of what would be the most painful season in my life, honestly. It was, um, I'd never really wanted to quit ministry, quit pastoring, until this season. It was painful. And it started, the season started with the death of my dad. My dad fell and hit his head and had a brain bleed. And uh, my dad, I was very loved by my father. And I'm aware of what a gift that is to be loved by your dad. I was told I love you every day of my life from my dad. Every dream I had, he helped me make it happen. Incredible support. And so I'm grieving the loss of my dad. And then the next month, Philip's identity gets stolen. And they kind of, how they do it, they kind of hack in through some emails and it's like, you know, his account got hacked, all that. So they get to our bank account and they steal the savings account. And because of how it was done, the, the FBI got involved in everything, and because of how it was done, the bank wasn't liable. 
So I'm grieving the loss of my dad and then having to process this financial loss. And then my husband gets diagnosed with cancer. And the treatment for him was so brutal that, you know, it just knocked out his whole immune system. And then he gets everything. Because you, then you get everything because you have no immune system. And one of the things he gets is shingles and he gets the worst case they've ever seen and he can't really walk for five months. And so he's not really functioning. And then my daughter makes a, not a wise decision. I mean, it's her story to tell. If she was here, she'd jump up and tell it. But it's her story to tell. Makes not a wise decision. So me, I'm trying to grieve my dad. I'd handle the financial stuff that we need to handle now and then take care of my husband. I'm trying to lead a church. I mean, we're pastoring thousands of people. So I'm trying to lead a church and then be a mother to my daughter. And you know what? I was not doing great. I'm pretty sure I was not doing any of those perfectly. Obviously, I was trying, but I wasn't doing that great. I'm sure. And then there were some people who should have had my back. You know, people to whom I had showed so much grace to. When they had entered my world and were a hot mess, I'd shown them grace. And then when I needed some of that grace, I just needed some of that grace for this season. I just got stabbed in the back. So the pain of betrayal. And I'm, like, I'm a people person. And in that season, I found myself, I just wanted to sit on my couch and not talk to anybody. I was so angry, and, I'm, and, and I just wanted to be by myself, and that's not me. I mean, some of you, you're the introverts, and that's, you'd go, yay, by myself. I'm not that girl. I, I'm people. If you come next to me, I'm touching you, right? I'm hugging you. It's just how I am. I like people. I love people. I want to be with people. What's refreshing to me is have coffee with people. I got the people, right? And so now in this season, I wasn't. I just, and I saw myself. Myself, I was getting cynical. Ooh, and sarcasm, I can be sarcastic, but I was doing mean sarcasm. You know the difference. And bitterness, it wasn't just, I didn't just have like a little branch of bitterness. I had a whole flaming tree. Bitterness. I was hurt and I was mad and I felt abandoned by people who should have been there to help me. So it's in that season that my husband puts this jar in our kitchen. And he says, every day, we're going to write something we're grateful for and put it in that jar. I said, no, we're not. See, my husband's the Christian. Right? I mean, every marriage should have one. He's it. And so I'm like, no. And then he gets me the colorful post-its as if that's going to make it more fun for me. And I know he's going to look. So I'm like, and to be honest, I knew something needed to change. Because I, God showed me a picture of who that woman, the woman I was on the couch being, who she would become. This bitter, old, angry woman. And I didn't want to be her. I didn't want to do the gratitude thing either, to be honest. So I'm standing at that jar the next morning. I'm like, oh, and I got nothing. I'm not feeling anything. I got nothing. 
So I pick up a post-it and I'm like, oh, coffee. Anybody else grateful for coffee? Right? And then the day two, I come down and I'm like, coffee. And I'm pretty sure it was coffee for like four or five days. And then one day I look up and I went, huh, sunshine. Yeah, because in Southern California, that's unusual, right? Sunshine. And then eventually became my family and my house. But let me just tell you, there was not one day, one moment, when I walked into that kitchen and felt gratitude. Every day, it was a decision of my will to find something that I could be grateful for. Something. See, he says in that verse, give thanks in all circumstances. He's not saying don't give thanks for the circumstance. He's saying in the middle of the horrible thing that you're in the middle of, can you find something to be grateful for? Because if you can't, you're going to stay buried in the ground. And when Paul wrote that, man, he was not in a great situation. He was in prison, by the way. There's a man named Dr. Dale Robbins, and he wrote this. He said, I used to think people complained because they had a lot of problems, but I've come to realize they have problems because they complain. Complaining doesn't change anything or make situations better. It just amplifies frustration. It spreads discontent. Complaining makes us miserable. In fact, the author of Psalm 77 put it this way, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. So Holly, maybe the reason you're feeling so overwhelmed is because you're spending so much time complaining. I know that doesn't apply to any of you holy people here, but that was me. And I think about Paul when he wrote this, his life was filled with so many difficulties, good night, stress and confusion and beatings that left permanent injuries and shipwrecks and persecution. But see, Paul could, he had learned this secret. In Philippians 4, he said this, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Oh, now we love quoting that last part. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Well, what things is he talking about? the secret of being content in any and every situation. Don't take that verse out of context. That's what it means. Yes, you can do all things. You can be content in any and every situation. See, Paul had learned the secret of not living life based on the conditions around him. He could be content in prison and he could be content at home because it wasn't based on anything except his relationship with Jesus. And so God is saying to us, don't wait to be grateful. Don't wait until that situation changes or until you get that next thing because as soon as you get that thing, you'll just have another list of things. So don't postpone gratitude. So for me, something else I did in that season is I took a list of the things that I most often complained about, just the little things that I most often complained about and I flipped it into something else. I could be grateful for. So here's my list. You can borrow it, but I suggest you write your own. Here it is. I said, I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for the traffic I'm driving in because it means I have a car. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the spot I find at the far end of the parking lot 
because it means I'm capable of walking. I'm grateful for my water bill and my electric bill because it means I get water simply by turning on a faucet and electricity by flipping a switch. I'm grateful that I live in a country where the chances of me being beheaded for my faith are fairly small. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for scary, feel like throwing up, walk on water moments because it means I'm getting to use my faith. Grateful. I'm grateful for dealing with challenges in relationships because it means I have relationships worth fighting for. And I'm grateful for the alarm that went off very early today because it means God has trusted me with another day. I'm grateful. So that's your homework. I was gonna say for the next week, but that's asking a lot. For the next 24 hours, no complaining about anything, anything. The bad driver, the long line, your husband, your kids, the condition of your house, nothing. Your own self, no come looking in the mirror and complaining about you, nothing. Can you do it? Just 24 hours and half of it, you're gonna be asleep anyway. 24 hours. So let's be the girl, the kind of girl that it, when the darkness is around us, when it seems like there's so much chaos going on, when there's heartbreak, let's be the girl who blooms anyway, the girl who rises anyway. Let's be that girl. Now, I just want to pray for some of you. Um, if you're in here and you're kind of in the middle of maybe a season like I just talked about or, or I don't know, maybe you've got a diagnosis that's scary or your kids are doing things or you're just in a tough situation at school, whatever. If you're in the middle of a challenging situation, then I want to pray for you. And here's the thing. If you're not right now, your turn is next week. Because that's how it is. I was talking with Cindy today earlier. I wish my life was mountaintop, 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 heaven. But it isn't, right? It's mountaintop. And then, ha oh, mountaintop. Right? But you know what? Fruit doesn't grow on mountaintops. Fruit grows in the valleys. Who we are is being forged and formed in the valleys. So it's in the middle of those storms that we find out who we really are. And so I just want to pray with you if you're in the middle. So if you're in the middle of a just yucky spot right now. Put your hand up. We're going to pray for you. Okay, I'm going to pray for you, but maybe if you just keep them up for a second so people can see you. And so why don't we believe in praying for each other? It's community. Christianity is not a solo faith. It's communal faith. And so if you see somebody with their hand up, you just don't be weird. Just put your hand on them. Don't be the weird Christian person. Just hey, somebody put your hand on that lady. She's got her hand up back there. There you go. Everybody got somebody with your hand on you? Okay, Father, I thank you that you are the God who sees. 
And you are the God who is with us. And so, Spirit of God, I just pray right now for my sisters who are in the middle of their own storm, in the middle of their own battle, in the middle of perhaps feeling just beat up and confused and weary. And I pray for them. And Spirit of God, I ask that you would intervene in this situation that you would bring reconciliation where reconciliation is needed. You would bring healing where healing is needed. Jesus, you paid the price so we could be whole and healed and well. And I thank you, Father, for miracles done in people's lives. I thank you for provision where provision is needed, for peace where peace is needed. Spirit of God, I ask that you would intervene as only you can do in these lives. And I thank you, God, that they're not alone. That's what some of you felt like. You felt like you've just been alone in this. You're not alone. That is a lie from the enemy. You are not alone. Everybody just say that out loud. I am not alone. Say it louder. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Not only is God with you, but we are too. You're not alone. I thank you, Father, for freedom for my sisters in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Okay, now I want to pray for just another group of people. Maybe if you'll just close your eyes for a second. Just kind of eliminating distractions. Just close your eyes for just one minute. And so maybe there's some of you in here and perhaps you've never even put your faith in this God who loves you so much that he sent Jesus to pay the price for every failure in your life and to give you a future filled with hope. Maybe you've never put your faith in God. Maybe you've never received his love. You've never allowed his love to come into your heart. Or maybe there's some of you in here and at one point perhaps you did say yes to his love. You did say yes to Jesus. But if you were honest, you'd have to say you've grown a little cold in your heart. Maybe just weary. Maybe you're like I was just... In that, in that just horrible season where I just felt so battered and I was just felt so distant from God. Maybe you're there. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've just grown a little cold in your heart. And if you're honest, you'd have to say you're not truly 100% following Jesus. You're kind of just sitting down. I know what that feels like. And I want to pray for you. So if you're in here and for the first time you're saying yes to the love of God, want to receive the forgiveness, you can leave here free from guilt and free from shame. Tonight, you can. You don't, have to, you don't have to take that with you. You can leave here free from guilt and shame. So maybe it's time to say yes to the love of God. Allow Jesus, the forgiveness that Jesus offers to become real for you. Or maybe you're in here and you know it's time to just get back up one more time and begin following Jesus one more time. Maybe you know all the right motions to do, but in your heart, you know, you know. And I want to pray for you. It's not an accident that you're in here. It's not an accident that I am. So I'm going to pray for you. So if you're in here for the first time saying yes to the love of God, or if you're in here and you know it's time once again to get up and follow Jesus, just receive everything he has for you. And I'm going to pray for you. So I'm going to count to three, and I just want you to put your hand up just so I can see it, so I can pray for you from up here. One, two, 
three. Just put the hands up so I can see it. That's great. I see like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, maybe twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four. I think 25 back there. So I think I see about 25 hands, but you know what? God sees you and he knows your name. He knows who you are. Father, I thank you for these women who were humble enough and brave enough to lift their hand, acknowledging their need for you. And I thank you, God, that they, from this moment on, are a new creation. It's a new day for them. The past is forgiven and the future is filled with hope. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And this is that marking moment. And we're all going to pray this out loud because as I mentioned, Christianity is a communal faith. We do it together. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer and everybody's just going to repeat this after me. And those of you that raised your hands, you're praying it too and you're believing these words in your heart. And so let's all pray this together. Everyone say, Father, all of us, Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And from this moment on, I choose Jesus. I surrender my heart and my life to Jesus. I get up one more time and follow him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well done. Well done. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family of God. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. You can hear more messages by visiting ChosenEssay.com. Be sure to follow us at Chosen Essay on Facebook and Instagram.